0: Buddy, welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church this, this fine morning. Let's begin by entering into prayer together at this time. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that while we had nothing at all to give you, in fact, we were your enemies, yet you sent your one and only Son, the Son of God, became man, our Lord Jesus Christ, and He was willing and did. Go to the cross. He died for our sins, everybody's sins, and he was buried. And then on the third day, you raise him from the dead so that whoever believes in your son, Jesus Christ, will never perish, but has eternal life. Father, we thank you for your grace in that amazing gift and in all the gifts you give us. Father, we thank you that we're all able to gather here today. We also thank you, Father, that you have given us your word Every bit of it true and from from the guidance of the Holy Spirit directly into the writers of the scriptures. We thank you for your grace and the Holy Spirit inside us. And we thank you, Father, for gathering us together and being able to celebrate the supper of your your son, our Lord, today. And we would ask, Father, that your blessing would be upon all of us and that the Holy Spirit would guide each and every one of us this morning as we gather together. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Please stand and worship with us. It's funny, they always disappear, and then somehow magically they're back in here. Yeah, I don't know how that works, but let's, uh, let's again get started this morning. And as many of you know, every month we do feature a different missionary organization. And this month it's Grace Prison Ministries, Keithy and Starling. Keithy and I keep missing each other. I don't know what it is. I call him. He's not there. He calls me. I can't pick up. And his mailbox is full somehow, I've got to get in touch with him at some point, but we know him really well, he's been here many times, got a great ministry. He of course was in prison, and pretty much miraculously got out of prison, and then he uh, decided that the Lord had called him back into prison, in order to witness, to preach the gospel, to the, to, the, to the inmates and also to bring them along in the Christian life by teaching them God's word. And again, that's their ministry to change the lives of prisoners through evangelism first so that they know the gospel and have a chance to believe in Jesus Christ has died for their sins and rose from the dead. And then they teach them sound Bible teaching because they really need that. They, need, they have the anchor of their salvation, but now they need to grow and they need to understand that we're all one in Christ and that they, they have a new way of thinking about themselves and everything around them. That all comes to life by the word of God. And so it's tremendous work that Keithian and Grace Prison Ministries do. We would ask, of course, that you keep them in prayer. This is their website, www.graceprisons.org. You can check it out. They do it from time to time, have conferences at different prisons. Um... This year they were going to have one, if you recall, in April. But obviously, because of the virus, they weren't able to do that. But I'm hoping real soon that uh, that gets all straightened out, if you know what I mean, in terms of what being back to normal, hopefully, and they can continue doing those conferences. All right, I would like you this morning to turn to First Timothy chapter one, verse eighteen. 1 Timothy chapter one, verse eighteen. This morning, as we continue. Our study of this book, 1 Timothy, written by Paul to his lieutenant, Timothy. Paul, at this point, has already been in prison himself once, speaking to prison ministry. And he's now free, temporarily, because he'll be back in prison again, not not too much further in his life. And then he'll stay there and be a martyr for the Lord. But now he's writing to Timothy because he's passing the torch. See, Timothy is the next generation. Timothy has a hard hard calling right now, a difficult task before him because he's going into the church at Ephesus and there's problems. We're used to seeing that. Just about every church that Paul writes to has problems. Guess what? We got problems. Every church has problems, right? We're all still human beings. Then nobody becomes like, you know, divine at the moment we believe in Christ. We still got problems. Well, they had problems there. And so, because Timothy's young, <laughs> Paul saw this as... His need was there to be encouraged and instructed on how to be overseer as a quasi-apostle, Timothy, um, to the churches in Ephesus. So let's begin this morning. The title of tonight's message comes, of course, from our passage, and it's Fight the Good Fight. Fight the good fight. Emphasis on that word good, as we'll see as we go along. 1 Timothy one 18 to 18-20. <laughs> this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them, by the prophecies, you fight the good fight, keeping faith keeping a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Well, we've been through chapter 1 through verse 17, and these are the last three verses of this chapter, and they really do serve as a fitting conclusion to chapter 1. You note that expression, this command. Now that refers directly to what he's about to say. This command, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. That's a direct command here. Fight the good fight. By the way, we're given the same command to fight the good fight. And it's really important for us to understand, by the way, what our battle is and what it isn't. What's the good fight and what's the wrong fight? We'll get into that at the end today. In any event, he's referring to directly. When he says this command, he's talking about that directly fight the good fight. But also, he's indirectly talking about something he brought up just about first thing when he issued the command to Paul uh, to Timothy as well. And I'd like you to turn back there now, First Timothy chapter one. All right, we're going to be, of course, in First Timothy most of the time today. Now we're just going to back up from verse eighteen down to verse three, and let's see the original command that the Lord gave. I mean, that well, Lord, yes, but Paul gave to Timothy. All right, First Timothy one, verse three. As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. That was the command. As we're going to see, fight the good fight is a follow on. He's just going to say, he's saying here in verses three to five, this is the good fight I want you to fight. And he's summarizing that when he says, fight the good fight. But notice, I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. Notice that the fight has to do with what's taught. The fight has, doesn't have to do with personalities. It doesn't have to do with, with legal matters or political issues. It has to do with the teaching and The right teaching and the wrong teaching. And that's what he's saying. He says, Timothy, there are those there that are teaching the wrong things. They're harming the spiritual life of the people. And we can't have that. You've got to fight against that. He says, instruct them not to teach anymore. If they're going to teach strange doctrines, they shouldn't teach at all. Nor to pay attention. Tell them, don't be paying any more attention to myths And endless genealogies, we saw where these were perversions of the Old Testament scriptures, that they were, including the law, they didn't understand, remember, they didn't understand the right use of the law. Timothy's got to straighten all that out and silence those and and the things that they're teaching that are wrong, which give rise to mere speculation. There's a lot of that in Christianity. A lot of speculation. People write books and everyone wants the book. You know, And all it is is speculation. It's not tied to God's word. That's what they were doing. Mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. By the way, that's more work. <laughs> to be able to further the administration of God. And by the way, it's the only work that the church should really be involved in, by the way. Church gets, gets uh, deluded when it thinks it's supposed to go out there and have these causes and fight all these things in the world and you know, tell certain people what's wrong with them and all of that. That's got nothing to do with what the church has been established for. All right, we'll see that again. He says, look, they they are not furthering the administration of the church when they have these speculations and they pay attention to these myths and they're teaching the wrong doctrines. Because all of that proper administration is by faith. We're reliant on the Lord. We're reliant on the guidance of God's word. We're reliant on the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the thinking of Jesus Christ. Not what they can speculate about. Why? The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a severe faith. We saw that when he started this letter, that that there's a purpose, right? The instruction doesn't just sit there. Oh, wow, look, I'm learning a lot. That's important. That's first. But it's supposed to now build up our character, our good conscience, right? Build up our understanding, our faith, our trust and reliance in the Lord and knowing all about the whole realm of the teachings, then what? A good heart. That's the goal. But ultimately, that good heart produces love. That's the end result. It's always the end result when the church is doing its job right. So again, fight the good fight that we started in today in verse 18. It really is a succinct summary of verses 3 to 5, which we just wrote. read. I didn't write it. Paul now is entrusting. Notice, he's entrusting a command to Timothy. What does that mean? Well, it's a military term, actually. We saw it already. It just means that Paul, by his authority as an apostle, is now passing along instructions to his lieutenant, Timothy. And he's entrusting that Timothy will carry that out and will keep with the word of God in so doing. He is issuing a military command to his lieutenant, Timothy. By the way, if, if you, you probably have seen this if you've read different passages in the New Testament epistles, Paul loved using military metaphors. He used them a lot. We'll see a couple others this morning in his letters. That just tells you that part of being a Christian is being uh, in the military in the sense of having orders and being obedient to them. Understanding what your fight is and is not. Okay, That's all best summarized in Paul's way of presenting things by using the military as an analogy. Now, don't get me wrong. Timothy was not, not out there with his with a literal sword and a shield and combating different people. Not at all. We're going to see it's all spiritual in nature. All right? We're going to see that our battle is not against people. It's against the spiritual forces of wickedness. So too with Timothy. Get all wrapped up in who's your enemy and all wrapped up in who's doing what's right and what's wrong, ignoring the fact that it isn't the people, ultimately... It's the spiritual forces of wickedness that that the church is really against, and therefore, since we can't see them, must rely on the power of the Lord, not our own power to to fight our good fight. So look at now 2 Timothy. Speaking of, of metaphors that are military, let's see in 2 Timothy, the next book, chapter 2, verse 3. Paul, again, was fond of using military metaphors when he taught. And, of course, metaphor is a, is a great way to teach. Here's something that you don't know yet that I want to teach you, but I'm going to start with something that you do know something about. So you know something about the military, and now I'm going to teach you something about the, the, the command structure, as it were, the, 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 it, the mission of the church in terms of the military. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Suffer hardship with me. As a good soldier of Christ Jesus, suffer hardship with me. Paul didn't sugarcoat anything. We know that from reading 1 Corinthians, for example. He says, you're going to suffer if you're true to your calling, true to your command. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. A good soldier in that day and age in any day and age doesn't get all involved with the world, but focuses on his mission That's the point of using the military analogy here. Notice verse 4. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. If they did that, they wouldn't be able to carry out their mission. It's that simple. So that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Who enlisted Paul and Timothy as soldiers? Well, we saw it in verse 3. A good soldier of Christ Jesus. The Lord was the one who enlisted them as soldiers. By the way, same thing is true for us. Whether we consider that or not, every one of us has been enlisted to be an, a, a Christian, a member of the body of Christ, one who is standing up for the truths of the gospel against its enemies out there. All right? Foreign and domestic, if you want to think about the pledge that military officers take. okay. So that's the, that's the principle here. That you don't get entangled in the affairs of everyday life. See, that's, that's a big problem for the church today, by the way. We will get into that at the end. It's all entangled in the affairs of everyday life and not paying attention to the real calling. Of, and the calling is to preach the gospel, teach the word of God, maintain the integrity of the congregation. It's all that. It's not. Worrying about all the things going on in the world and all the terrible sinners out there and all these conspiracy theories that just suck up the energy of the church so that we're not able to do what we're supposed to do. We've lost our focus when we do that. Verse 5. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, another analogy. You see, so you see, military and, and athletics in that day, as in ours, were things that the men especially, okay, could really relate to, because he's really calling the men on the carpet here, all right, I know that that's, you know, that we don't, we think of these days always people, both genders, but as a matter of fact, his real, his real beef is with the men at Ephesus right now, and he's saying, think about an athlete, all right, you admire the athletes, the ones who would compete in the Olympics in those days, and uh, what do they have to do? He says, well, they don't win the prize unless they compete according to the rules. In other words, there is a particular way of preparing that you must stick with. Right? The training that an athlete would undergo. You know, Sometimes, uh, I used to watch boxing. I still do occasionally. And every once in a while, you see the two combatants. And one of them is like in perfect shape. And the other one, usually the champ, you know, is putting a few pounds in the belly... Why? Because he's lost that fire, you know, the eye of the tiger, if I could put it in terms of a movie, right? Well, we need to keep that also. Paul would say in another place, look, I've got to buffet my body and make it my slave. Not because I want to show you how sleek I am, but because I need my body To be under control in order to do the things I want to do. If I'm drifting off into all these different areas of my lust patterns and the uh, interests that I have and the weakness and want to sleep in and all those kind of things, well, then I'm not as useful as I should be, all right? But an athlete understands that if they don't always do it. Here again, we got military, we got athletic. Paul loved to use athletic metaphors also. We'll see that a little bit more today. Now, going back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, um, I want you to see, though, that he uses the military analogy again in verse 18. So go back to chapter 1, verse 18 now, and uh, we'll see the military academy. academy military. Keep that in mind, all right? We'll talk about that a little later. Military analogy, again. again in verse 18. This command I entrust to you, There's a commanding officer to his lieutenant. My son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you. There was a day in which you were, as it were, um, ordained or in military terms. They had a commission was given. And at that time, there were prophecies made. All right. Now, it's not, don't get all, you know, super spiritual. It it has to do with the fact that the the Lord, through the prophet at the time, was, was communicating to Timothy, about where he's going, about what his gifts will be, all right? And that's what's being talked about, the, the calling that he has on his life. He says, now, in accordance with that, knowing how you were commissioned, now I want you to go by those promises that will sustain you and strengthen you in the battle. Go fight the good fight. In accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you. Well, what are the prophecies? Right? And and what role do they play in Timothy's life as he fights the good fight? Well, as a matter of fact, we get a lot of insight into the nature of these prophecies by looking at Paul's life and a pivotal event that occurred in his life, in his ministry, that was very similar to what also happened to Timothy. And in order to see that, I'd like you to turn to the book of Acts. Go back. We're coming back to First Timothy, but for now, please go to Acts, the historical book. And that sets the stage for what we read in the epistles, the epistles of Paul. Well, now, what we're doing is we're going back to when, when Saul of Tarsus, who's about to be known as Paul, the apostle, is given his commission. And we're going to see how he received Now, certainly he received it in a big picture sense when the Lord told him that, you know, you're going to be the one that I send to the Gentiles and you're going to suffer for my sake, just like he told Timothy, right? that you'll have to suffer for the sake of the gospel. But then after that, there was a reinforcement and a focus that was communicated by the Holy Spirit through men. All right, Through men, not, not by visions, okay, but through men that were there and they were considered teachers and prophets and they delivered the message to Paul that the Holy Spirit wanted Paul to understand. Let's see it. Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Now they were at Antioch. Antioch is a strategic position from which you, you go out of Israel or Judah and you go into the Gentile world, all right. And so that's where they were—perfect place to send off the apostles to the Gentile world, of course. Now they were at Antioch, and the church that was there, the body of believers that were there—who were they? Who was he with in particular? Prophets and teachers, prophets and teachers. And he named some of them Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Just on the side, the writer of the book of Acts, Luke, a great historian, meticulous, he's the one that went back and got all the facts and put them in chronological order, both in the Gospel of Luke, which talked about the life of Christ, and then the book of Acts, which showed the early days of the church. Historian, very particular. So what does he do? Not only does he name names, but he ties them into historical figures like Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Verse 2. <laughs> While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said... Who? Who said? The Holy Spirit said. That's so important to understand. This, is, this wasn't just something you know that somebody cooked up. This wasn't just something that somebody made a guess about. Or somebody felt that they were getting all worked up and that they had a, you know, a particular message from their own. It all came from God. It all came from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Again, set apart from me. They're now being set apart. You're going to have a, a special mission, Saul, Barnabas. It's got, you're going to have work that I'm going to tell you to do. Specific work now. General calling from the Lord earlier in the life of Saul. Specific work here. The work to which I've called them. I want you to notice the message of the prophets. The Holy Spirit spoke through the prophets like he did in the Old Testament. And he said, set apart for me <laughs> Barnabas and Saul. They're going to have a, a special calling right now. And there's work, particular work, and I've called them to that work, focus. You see, that's going to be the same message that Paul is going to give to Timothy. You've got to focus like a laser beam on your particular calling. Don't be distracted by all things around you. He says the same thing to the church today. You've got a calling. You've got a focus. You've got a particular task that's before you to do. Do it. Do it with all your might. Notice verse 3, and then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them. By the way, that's not some oogly-googly mystery. Whoo, a lot of people think about the laying on of hands. Now, that was just the way, the custom of the Jews at that period of time, to mark somebody off for a special mission. All right, That's all it meant. There's nothing like magical about it. And then he said, they sent them away. That's part of the job of the prophet too. To say, okay, now you've been prepared, now go do it. That's the same thing with Timothy. You had prophecies made to you, in his case, you were going to be a great evangelist, and you're going to have a calling as a second generation. Now go do it. Go fight. A lot of people are really, they love the fact that we've been called and who we are, but then when it comes time to then live that way, to do it, to actually you know, listen to the commands of the Lord and put them into practice, a lot of people fall short at that time. That's when a lot of people say, you know what? I've had it with Christianity because now they're asking something of me. Well, they they aren't, right? The Holy Spirit is painting a picture. And by the way, will empower you for all of it. My yoke is easy, the Lord said. Right? My burden is light. But you just have to trust me and step out. Okay? So then notice 4. Notice they sent them away. But then in verse 4, it says something interesting. It says being sent out by the Holy Spirit. So I hope you can see now that you have man in the form of the prophets and the Holy Spirit, and essentially they're working together, right? They're working together. It's like us, you know? When we're called to do something, when Paul was called to work harder than any of them, remember he said, I did it, but not I, but the grace of God. That's always the combination here. It's man Right? Lining up with man, Christian, saint, lining up with the will of God such that God actually performs it through them. God is, is now allowing us to live according to the righteousness, the principles of the law and beyond it, right? And we're doing it. Like when we're, we're, we know that one of the fruit of the Spirit is love, now we know it's God's, but at the same time, it then kind of works its way through us. It's a particular actions toward people. Love acts. Love does. Okay, the same thing here. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. Notice it's very specific. Right? The same thing is, is for us. We'll have very specific instructions, guidance, direction. All right. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. So again, I want to summarize what we've learned as you turn back there. First of all, when it talks about prophecy, commission, it's all the work of who? The Holy Spirit. Never lose sight of that. Okay? Too often, this is going to be the theme today. All right? Too often, unfortunately, people keep their eyes on the people and forget about God behind it all. Or, as we're going to see today, in terms of our struggle, our battle... Everyone wants to condemn the people when, in fact, they're just pawns, as it were, by the real enemies, the principalities and powers. It's the same principle in the negative as it is in the positive. Okay. It's all the work of the Holy Spirit. The work, of course, that he, they were called to was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. The prophets and the teachers, they prophesied by proclaiming the message That the Holy Spirit had given to Saul and Barnabas. What was that? Three things, let's keep keep it in mind now. It included their commission. You are now going to be an apostle. You are now going to be a lieutenant. All right. Their calling, right? You're going to go to the Gentile world. All right. And then their ministry. A very particular start. And he said, go here, Seleucia, and go to Cyprus. All right. Same thing is true about Timothy. Look at now 1 Timothy 1.18. <laughs> commission, calling, ministry. Translate it and say, as, as was the case with Timothy in the first century, so is the case for us today. We have our commission. We have our calling. We have our ministry. And it's specific. You know, a lot of people love humanity in general, but they can't stand the people right around them. But see, God flips that around and he says, no, you have to understand that your ministry is with particular people. Don't forget that. Don't get all hyped up and all excited about who you have been made to be and forget you're simply a gift to a group of people as, as they were as well. 1 Timothy 1, 18. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made, Concerning you, meaning what? The commission that he was given, the calling that he was pointed toward in the ministry that he was handed. that you, By them, you fight the good fight. So, <laughs> so in, in the case of the prophecies that we're talking about here with Timothy, same way that it worked with Paul. There were words from the Holy Spirit. They were revealed to the men. They showed Timothy's commission and Timothy's gifts. All right. Today, the same thing. By the way, Holy Spirit is still at work, and He does it the same way now. He's going to work through individuals. Usually, in this case, it's going to be uh, mature believers, leaders, pastor teachers, mature members of the congregation, who are going to, as it were, commission somebody or recognize their gift, sometimes we call it that, and then um, have a particular ministry waiting. Okay. That's what happened with Timothy. So his charge, of course, lined up with the prophecies to him. And because of that, he knew how he stood. He knew he should be there. He was supposed to be doing. That's the, that is the powerful thing about a commission and a calling. You see, somebody else, in this case, God, right, has already decided that this is who you're going to be and where you're going to go so that when you're doing that and being there, you understand that this is God's work. This is the good fight. Why? Because God's the one who set it up. And so that's why you, that's how you have courage in the heat of battle. Remember David, David and Goliath. Remember David? Little old, little David there, a shepherd, probably an associate shepherd out there. And Um, then you had Goliath 10 feet tall. I don't know if he was, but let's picture it that way. And he had the armor, and he had the spear, and he had the sword. And everybody's looking at this battle, and it's like Muhammad Ali against the 10-year-old. You know what I'm saying? They're like, this is going to be a slaughter. But David knew something that nobody else really understood. They should have. The Jewish soldiers should have, but they didn't, which was the battles of the Lord's. That this man had insulted the army of the Lord and, and the Lord is going to make sure that this will be unforgettable by taking a measly little kid with a slingshot and five stones and killing the one who had the all the great trappings and the equipment and the all of the sword and the, all of that. None of that mattered. Why? Because the battle is the Lord's. David understood that. He was totally confident he was going to win. And he did win. Well, that's the same idea here. When you understand that God has called you to do something, that is tremendous confidence, or it should be. And that's where you get your courage when things don't go so well. You can just kind of relax and say, okay, Lord, your battle isn't going so well right now. So I need more help, right? I need need more trust in you. I need to have the courage to just stay there. That's what we're called to do so often. Just stand there. And then see the deliverance of the Lord. In other words, (coughs) the battle that he's about to conduct is what's called the good fight. Emphasis on good. It's so important to see this, that there's a good fight and a bad fight. Nation of Israel, same thing. You know, when they understood that they were called to battle by the Lord, they knew they couldn't lose. But other times, they took it upon themselves. Well, the Lord hasn't really called us to fight this battle, but we really think we should. So we're going to now whoosh, divert the army and go fight. Well, they, they lost those. If you want to read about that, you can read about it in the Old Testament. They lost those battles. The same army, right, what? Different support, different source, right? The, the Lord wins his battles. And that's the good fight. Again, translate that for us. There's a battle we should be fighting. It's the good fight. And there's a lot of battles that we shouldn't. Those are the bad fights. And we got to understand the difference. Hey, wait a minute. Answer that call. That could be our shepherd telling us we were fighting the wrong battle. So the point is that it's the good fight because it was the Lord's. Now, now think about Timothy. He's in the moment. He's looking at what's going on in Ephesus. He's looking at all of these false teachers and the people that are being swayed by it. He's looking at the real evil things going on with men that are blaspheming and talking bad about the uh, the gospel and, we'll see, and and also lying to the people and twisting the word of God. And he's like, wow, I don't know how I'm going to ever get through this. But then he remembers. Wait a minute. I was commissioned and set apart by God for this very purpose. <sighs> Time to relax. I am here by the authority of the Lord and the authority of an apostle. Hmm. And I will prevail by guarding this gospel message and keeping a good conscience. See, that, was, that was what Timothy was asked to do. Right? Don't don't mess around with the gospel. Don't try to change it. Don't be influenced by what people are saying or like today we might have really famous quote evangelists that preach the, that don't preach the gospel, right? Don't pay any attention to that. Yeah, a lot of people will. But you just focus on the fact that you've already been given the message. Keep it Often say that the job of a pastor is to go into the kitchen, the meal's already been prepared, and don't ruin it between the time it goes to the, from the kitchen onto the table where the people are eating. That's the pastor, right? Don't ruin it. God's already prepared it all. Just don't ruin it. And then keep a good conscience. Keep that pure heart. Keep keep making good decisions, tough decisions, on the basis of God's word, right? Have integrity. Right? Don't, don't do what's easy. Do what's right. You do that, Timothy, and you will watch the victory. You will have the prevailing achievement. All right. So I hope you can see by now that Paul and Timothy were army officers. They were in God's army. They were soldiers of Christ. They were in God's army. They were enlisted by the Lord. Let's go forward to verse 19 now. First Timothy one nineteen. Now we're going to meet a couple of other people. A whole group of people and then two out of them. Keeping faith. Keeping it. Already has it. In other words, Timothy didn't write the words of the Bible in his you know whole cloth by himself. They were already there. The gospel had already been proclaimed. He right? says, now keep it. Hold on to it. Don't have it watered down. Don't try to take in something else or add to it or subtract from it. Just keep it the way it is. Keeping faith and a good. Keep the good conscience. You've got it. Keep it. Which some, the opponents of Paul and Timothy, the ones as we're going to see were blaspheming, teaching the wrong things, false teaching. Some have rejected. They've rejected their good conscience. And because of that, they've suffered. Notice this vivid image, shipwreck. In regard to their faith. We're going to learn it, the names of a couple of them. Hymenaeus and Alexander. Notice the reference to shipwreck. Notice the reference to a conscience that was supposed to be your anchor. Instead being pulled out. And so that they're just drifting along. And eventually what's going to happen? They're going to suffer shipwreck. According to the, regarding their faith. Their faith will be shipwrecked. Well, what did they do? Well, they they kind of rejected their good conscience. That meant, you know, they had navigational equipment, right, in this this navy, right? They, they, They should have known where they were going because they had the right navigational equipment, a good conscience. What did they do? They burned it up. Bible word for that is seared. They burned up their conscience. Now, what happens when you do that? You lose your way, right? When you lose your way, all of a sudden, powerful tide comes in. The ship gets slammed across the rocks, and that ship crashes into a a million splinters. So you had army officers, and then you had naval officers. What? Oh! I got, oh! That was just supposed to be for my son. I don't know how that got up there this morning. I apologize. No, I don't apologize to anybody. There he is. There's my kid. Yeah! Yeah! One day, God willing, he's going to be an officer. Not too far in the future. Of course, he's at the military academy at West Point, And I ask for your prayers for him as well. But in any event, you had the army officers, Paul and, and, and uh, Timothy. All right, they were on the right track. Unfortunately, you had people on the ships that were on the wrong track. All right. I got a lot of people in the Navy pissed off right now. <laughs> Angry at me right now. <laughs> Oh Lord's angry with me now. Saying words anyway. You know I'm a mess. You see, that's the thing about... I love the fact that I'm a mess. Because then everybody is absolutely sure that it's not me. When I'm up here, you know, I'm a mess. I can't even tie my shoes anymore, by the way. That's why I wear loafers now, if you noticed? I literally can't, you know, because of my back surgery. All right. Notice he says, keeping faith and a good conscience. What's faith? Well, well, I'm not sure you understand here, it's the sound doctrine. Keep that, especially as he calls it, the glorious gospel. The exact gospel that was given to Paul. That Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried. God the Father raised him on the third day from the dead. So that whoever believes in him will never perish, but has eternal life. Can you see how straightforward and, and, and clear and actually, I don't know how you mess that up, but believe me, hundreds and thousands of pastors and preachers, and they mess it all up. They say you have to feel sorry for your sins or you have to turn away from all your sins or they have to say faith isn't enough. You also have to commit to following the Lord. That is not the gospel. The gospel doesn't have to do with us. It has to do with Christ. That he died for us, that God so loved the world, everybody, because we all start out the same, dead, lost in our sins, and he died for all of us, and then he was buried, so that everyone could understand he actually died, and then on the, on the third day he was raised from the dead, an absolute miracle by the power of God to show that he'd conquered death. It, there's no um, need to mess with that message. Just believe. You don't have to repent of all your sins. You don't have to make Jesus Lord of your life. He, By the way, you can't make him be what he already is, by the way. You just believe the truth. Just believe the truth. Believe that there is a God so kind and loving and amazing that he would give his son to die for you and then that that he would be buried and then he would be raised from the dead so you'd know exactly who he is and what he accomplished. And all you have to do is hear good news and believe it. Like a little kid hearing good news. And when daddy gets home, you're going to get a present. He didn't, he didn't buy the present. Right? When the dad came home, he says, Now I want you to repent of all your sins. And then I'll give you the gift. Nope. You just believed it and then it came about. Alright. So that's faith. Sound doctrine. Then we have the good conscience. Now, good, the conscience is what directs the will. In other words, <laughs> you say, well, I don't know what I should do. I don't know what I want to do. I don't know how to make a decision. I need help here. Hey, conscience, help me. Conscience is supposed to discern. This is right. This is wrong. Now, the will doesn't always listen to the conscience, but it should because that's how you get directed to the right decisions in life. Now, for a Christian, the good conscience simply means that our will is being directed by the standards of the word of God. That Remember, we've already seen this, right? Faith leads to the good conscience. Instruction, the content of the word of God, the conscience is built up. Now I understand seeing it from God's point of view. This is right. That's wrong. Don't listen to the world because they call good evil and evil good. Get your nose in the Bible. Understand what God says. Now you've got that good conscience. Now you make good decisions. (coughs) All right. That's the conscience. What's the opposite of that? Bad conscience. See, this is is, is easy, guys. All right? Good conscience, bad conscience. What's a bad conscience? The opposite. But here, I want you to listen to this. I I probably should have had a slide, but a bad conscience is a conscience that's been compromised. Now, I'm going to present this compromise in two stages. All right? First, by evil behavior, then it's overtaken by lies. So in other words, when you have a conscience and you don't listen to it, and instead you do the opposite, it weakens the conscience. The conscience is saying, wait a minute, you know, you're doing the opposite. This is like a crisis right now. So it's weak. By the way, when anything is weak, it's susceptible to the attack. And now that weakened conscience is now susceptible to bringing in lies rather than the truth. And then it's seared. It's no good. It's burned up. Verse 19 again. Keeping faith. The body of sound teaching, especially the gospel, and a good conscience keeps straight from the word of God what's right and what's wrong. Some, okay, those are the opponents, the false teachers, have rejected their good conscience. And as a result, they've suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. Okay. Now this verb, which says rejected, you know what it means in the Greek? A deliberate choice. In other words, they just didn't fall into this. A lot of people say, you know, the devil made me do it, or I didn't know what I was doing. Not here. They knew what they were doing. They deliberately chose to ignore their conscience and abandon it. All right, Shipwreck. Once that happened, your faith is destroyed. That's how it works. I want you to understand that very often the source of bad teaching, false teaching, is bad behavior. <laughs> Now, what does that mean? Well, because it's very human, right? To hear something from the Word of God, know it's the truth, but then don't want to listen, and then go your own way. And what happens is, is, when you go your own way, now all of a sudden you start to be reinforced by the wrong way. And that will lead you into saying, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm starting to want to change that teaching into the way I'm living. And now, what happens? Not only is your conscience seared, but you've stopped the lifeblood the truth from God's word and instead you have your own so that's that's what they did false teaching often has its roots in evil behavior the content of what they believed was no longer sound doctrine it was no longer the glorious gospel think what a loss that is to forget the grace of God replace it with strange teachings Doctrines of demons, as it will be called later on. This is a serious danger. It was obviously a serious danger for the shipwrecked people. Also a serious danger for anybody, because we can all fall into that. We can all make those decisions that were the wrong decisions. And then, then start drifting, okay? So Timothy had to do something about that. He had to set the ship right for everybody else. And then allow the Lord to deal with the ones, particularly the leaders... All right, that had gone in the wrong direction. Okay. Now notice it says, "Look at verse twenty now." First Timothy, chapter one, verse twenty. Serious dangers call for drastic actions. Right? Serious danger. There's a there's a cat five hurricane, thirty miles away. That calls for drastic action. That doesn't mean have a couple of cocktails and watch the football game and see what happens. Right. No. Drastic action. Get your stuff together, evacuate, and hopefully, you know, your, your house won't be destroyed. Same thing here. Well, yeah, that's right. I feed the dog. First Timothy one twenty. Among these, among the ones who were engaging this, were the leaders, Hymenaeus and Alexander. Notice the next expression. Whom I have handed over to Satan. So that they will be taught. Not to blaspheme. All right, so they obviously made a practice of something called blaspheming. Well, what's that? And seriously, wicked. Here's what blaspheming is. It means speaking against the Lord, his word, or his messengers. That's blaspheming. Starts with the Lord, but it includes his word and his messengers. They were doing all of that, by the way. They were... (coughs) Probably they didn't even understand the first one. But by blaspheming his word, by speaking against it, saying the opposite. okay, And his messengers, remember the Lord said to Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? And, And Paul was persecuting people, Christians. So the Lord takes that really seriously. All right. But then we have that shocking, shocking statement. It stands out no matter how many times I read it. And he says What? whom I have handed over to Satan. Anybody this morning, sounds like that's going to be a good trip. No. Indeed, it isn't. So what is he talking about? Well, remember Satan now, fallen angel, liar, deceiver, sworn enemy of God, sworn enemy of Christ, sworn enemy of the church, sworn enemy of the believers. In other words, he's turning them over to the enemy. and everything. Okay, so... That's not good. There's only one other place, by the way, where this same language is found. And it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Please turn there as we wrap this up. (laughs) 1 Timothy chapter 5. What does it mean to have somebody handed over to Satan? Now here in chapter 5, we have a man who was living with his father's wife. That was something so wicked, even the Gentiles in that time didn't do it. So here you have a man who's calling himself a Christian, and he's sleeping with his, his father's wife. Now imagine if you didn't do anything about that in the congregation. Imagine if you had a congregation that was actually celebrating their freedom. Hey, look, we can even have a guy who's sleeping with his father's wife. Isn't that great? This for freedom that Christ set us free. Woo. Imagine if you let that ride... As a leader, what's going to happen? Everybody's conscience is going to be seared. That's what's going to happen. Everybody's going to be like, we don't have to pay any attention to anything that God says about what's right and wrong. That's a serious thing. It calls for drastic action. Let's take a look at it. First Corinthians 5.4 In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are assembled, you, the people, and I with you in spirit, He's not there, but with the power of our Lord Jesus to deliver such a one. By the way, it was the church who did this. To deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, in both cases that we've just seen, there was the, the overall goal wasn't to punish, destroy. It was restore. Restore. Right? In our case, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Have a change, be restored. Hear the same thing. Destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. The goal was to change the attitude, change the behavior. (coughs) Back to verse 20 of 1 Timothy 1. Let me wrap this up. 1 Timothy 1, 20. (coughs) Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan. Here, Paul does it. By the way, it's the same thing either way, because we're going to see what it is, which is to, we call it today excommunicate, but that's not a really good expression because that's not at all what they would have said back then. It was to, it was to banish somebody from the congregation. Okay? So whether it was Paul and his authority directly or Paul and his authority you know, telling the church to do it, it doesn't matter. Okay? The Greek word for taught okay, just means this to teach using discipline. Sometimes you have to teach that way. It's best if somebody just takes it takes God's word as as the word of God and obeys it. That's best. When people don't do that, then they have to be reprogrammed as a the word. They have to be trained and they have to be trained with discipline, okay? Of various kinds, okay? Hopefully just a little bit It's enough to somebody set straight on it. But then, you know, it can can get more and more tough, more difficult. Like the principal at school, right? Well, the first time you did it, I'm just going to have you stay for 15 minutes. What? You did it again? Now you're going to be suspended for a day. What? Again? The same thing? Suspended for a month and you can't play baseball. Again? Get out of this school. (laughs) Right? Isn't that the way parents are the same way? Well, oh, the Lord's the same way. Because why? He has the same goal in mind. Stop blaspheming that the spirit may be saved. And he's going to do whatever it takes to get the people to wake up, come to their senses. Okay. So here we are. What does it mean to hand over someone over to Satan? It's the absolute last resort. It's the lesser kinds of discipline we have been ineffective at correcting the behavior. And in 1 First Tim- First Corinthians chapter 5... <laughs> This is what it meant. Banishing the offender by removing him from the church. Now, in our day and age, when we have churches all around the place, and believe me, I know this, people say, well, you know what, I don't really like, it's too tough to follow this teacher, I'm going to go somewhere else. And I'm going to go somewhere else. So today we kind of think lightly of the idea of somebody being, quote, banished from the congregation. But they didn't. They understood that it was the place of the Lord's protection It was where they were supposed to be. It was the family that God called them to. Look at verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 5. (laughs) But those who are outside, God judges. Notice that. It's not the church's battle to judge those who are outside. Worldly people. No, it's, it's us that <laughs> we have to police, as it were. It's us that, that the Lord wants us to be concerned about any kind of behavior that could corrupt and destroy. In here, not out there. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. That's, to, that's turning somebody over to Satan. Why? Because the church, whether we realize it or not, is the sphere of God's protection. It's a protection for us to be united. Okay? The world is under the rulership of Satan. So basically, it's banishing them to the rulership of Satan. Now, not, don't get goofy on me and the guy with the pitchfork. and No, it just means that, well, you know what? The world, whether we like to think about it or not, is under the rulership of Satan. Okay? And so, you take a believer and you put him there, it's going to be a really hard season. All right? This person would face the fu- full fury of Satan's realm. Think of it. No mercy anymore. No grace anymore. You're enemy, right? You're, you're you're totally vulnerable to the enemy of the church, and you're a believer. Now, essentially, you know, it's it's the Lord or or Paul in this case saying, "Okay, let me see. I, clearly, you like continuing to blaspheme. Fine. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you over to the Prince of Blasphemy, so you can see exactly where where, where this is coming from. That you just kind of. Thinking is not a big deal. You're going to get a crash course in what life would be like under the thumb of the liar and deceiver. And then you're going to eventually wake up like the prodigal son and saying, i got nothing here good. I'm starving. Uh, people hate me now. I remember where I came from. I remember the grace of God now. I understand how serious it is a thing it is to speak against God or His word or His people. I'm ready to go back. I've learned my lesson. Like Paul and Timothy, we today have our own good fight, as it were, to fight. I got some bad news. The American church as a whole isn't fighting very well. Just not. Our battle, as we learn in Ephesians 6, You you don't have to go there. You can if you want to. But in the interest of time, I'm going to move along. What does it say? Our battle is not against people. Say it with me. Our battle is not against people. Get that out of your head. Whole swaths of the church think the battle is against people. It's against this pocket of sinners. It's against this political party. It's against... All those things, it's not. You're deceived if you think it's that. And yet, 9 out of 10 Christians, unfortunately, think that's it. If you say, fight the good fight, that's what they're thinking. You know, protest, or pass a law, or have political power, or all those things. No, that's not our battle. (laughs) If we try to fight that battle, we will lose. Why? Because it's not the good fight. This is the importance of knowing what your fight is and what it isn't. As long as the church is out there fighting the fight that God doesn't want them to fight, they're going to lose and lose and lose and lose and lose. And that's what we're seeing. It's not the fight God has asked us to fight, our struggle is against rulers in the heavenly places against powers and world forces of darkness and spiritual forces of wickedness. That's where the real battle is being waged. Now, I hope you understand that we are totally outmatched in our humanity. If it's up there in the heavens and we can't see it and these people these beings are more powerful than we could ever imagine, there's only one force in the universe who can fight that battle, and it ain't us. It's God. It's the Lord. The battle is the Lord's. So when we understand that and we just do what He tells us to do, then we will live in the victory. By the way, the victory's already been won. Jesus already said, In the world you'll have trouble. But don't worry, I've conquered the world. He's already won. But what do we have to do? Believe it, have faith in it, we'll do what we're supposed to do, which is preach the Word of God preach the truth, preach the gospel, take care of one another, discipline when we have to, welcome back whenever we can. That's our fight. Standing firm. The weapons of our warfare, they're not political in this political season. That's not the weapon of our warfare. They're not legal. Let's go sue somebody. No. They're not social. Let's have everybody gang up on somebody out there. No. What are they? Simple. They're spiritual. They come from the Holy Spirit. They come from God's word. We are to keep our minds on the things above. Whatever is pure. Whatever is right. Whatever is good. Keep your mind on those things. That's how we battle. That's how we battle. We get the right priority. We understand only the Lord can win this battle. And we stand our ground. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for getting us seeing correctly, for understanding the nature of the battle that you have placed us in and how we can only win by, by using your armor, the gospel message, the truth, faith. These are the things. Righteousness, those, that's our equipment. Those are our weapons. We would ask, Father, that we would stay clear on what those are, that we would hold to the truth of the gospel, that we would preserve our good conscience, and that we would just trust that this is your battle, that you've already won it at the cross, and that you're continuing to bring forth the implications of the cross in our lives. We can't lose. We are more than conquerors, as long as we stay focused on you and your weapons. We ask this in Christ's name, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, I would like the ushers to come forward as we uh, prepare for the lord 's Supper together, and you could pass out the communion elements at this time it 's always a privilege to be with you and celebrate the lord 's Supper together it 's our time when we bring into remembrance the death of the Lord and all the things about it. That's why we'd celebrate this every month and we have a different perspective every month because that's the central moment in human history. It's when God's son, who became human while remaining God, went to the cross and died for us, for the sin of the world. And that changed everything. It changed everything about our relationship with God, our understanding of our sinfulness, and at the same time how it's been dealt with forever. We bring into that into remembrance. And today, um, pivoting from our message today, um, our portion is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. You, you can turn there if you'd like. You don't have to. I'll be reading it. Hebrews, chapter 12, and we're going to go from verses 1 to 3. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, the examples of those who have come before, let us lay aside every encumbrance. Let's get rid of anything that's going to stop us from running the race. The sin which so easily entangles us. And we all have that. And we fall into certain patterns and certain things. And let us instead run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's the beginning and end of what we believe. That's who he is. Now he went to the cross. He endured the, the shame of the cross because of the joy set before him. That joy was so many things. It was, it was the father's righteousness being defended. But it was also that he would have a whole family. That He would bring many sons and daughters to glory through that painful, excruciating suffering. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now consider him. See, that's what we do. We consider him. We look to him. We could never in a million years get close to doing anything like he did for us. So forget that. Forget, you know, I'm going to do my penance now and then I'll be able to celebrate the the meal in some super status. No, no. It's finished. We're going here, we're gathering, and we're celebrating what he's done for us. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We have our own race to run, our own good fight. And there will be times when we'll be getting weary in that. We'll be getting discouraged in that. Seems like things are getting worse, not getting better. Well, when that happens, there's just one thing that we should do. One thing only. Look off and away to Jesus. That's all you got to do. Why? He's the beginning and the end of it all. And then look off in the distance and see the cross coming into view. Behold, the man on that cross, he endured all that suffering, all that shame, so that we could be saved. By his sins, we have been healed. And he didn't quit. Man, I would have quit. Let me tell you something. If you had told me that I had to go through that, and at the same time, I would have legions of angels that could take me off that cross in an instant, I wouldn't be up there two minutes before I'd call for the angels. But he didn't, because he knew the gravity of what he was accomplishing for us. He he kept fighting and fighting and fighting the battle until what he said at the end, it's finished. We need to say that. It's finished. It's accomplished. All for the joy set before him. When you're weary, when you're discouraged, simply look up to Jesus. Why? Because he's already had the victory. He is the great conqueror in the most consequential battle of all time. And now our hero is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He fought for us under the most hideous and painful circumstances that any soldier ever endured. He won the great victory and then he died. He died for our sins. He buried his body, but death could not hold him. He had won the victory. He had won the victory over death itself. That's why we come here and bring into remembrance the death of the Lord. The victory that he won there. The victory over sin. The victory over death itself. And then what? Then the omnipotence of God comes into the picture and raises him from the dead. A a demonstration of the eternal life that is ours when we simply believe the good news. And then soon thereafter, he ascended into heaven... And he's now seated in the most exalted seat in the heavens. And guess what? Today we stand on the very same ground where he won the victory. All he's asking us to do is to hold it. Hold the ground. Hold the ground of the victory that Jesus has already won for you. Stand your ground. You don't have to fight directly any longer. You have to stand in the victory that Christ won for you. That's our fight. And the great thing is, it's not ours ultimately, it's Christ's. Like he said, these things I've spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. That's why we need to stand firm and we cover ourselves in the armor of God. First Corinthians 11.23, For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the cup. Every time you eat this bread, we eat this bread, every time we drink this cup, we are proclaiming the death of the Lord until he comes. Until he comes. And so that, what that means is that by the very act of, of eating the bread, understanding that it's his body that was given up for us, drinking the cup, remembering the fact that it's the new covenant in his blood, that his blood is the source of forgiveness of all our sins, remembering that, bringing that into remembrance. That's how we proclaim the death. And we'll keep doing that until he comes. And that could be any time. Any time. And when he comes, every, every ounce, every cell in our newly resurrected body will be proclaiming the same thing and experiencing the victory forever. All right, let's close. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the good gifts, son's death and resurrection the word your word that's alive and powerful this celebration Father we we would just ask this morning too that we would understand our fight and we know that you've already had the victory Lord and that we are to just simply stand our ground in in the weapons and armaments you've given us which are spiritual in nature that's a victory that we've already won We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. All right, before you go today, please listen to a couple of reminders. This Thursday, September 10th at 6.30, we get together on Skype every week to have a Bible study. All right, Thursday, 6.30, Bible study. Fantastic subject we've been on, eternal security, that anybody who's believed in Christ is saved forever. You can't lose it, ever, no matter what. And we're going to continue looking at that subject. It's such a rich subject. It's so rich in God's word that we should just take every part of it to heart. All right? You may wonder at this point, okay, so when is he going to have the ushers come forward and bring the basket around? The answer is, I'm not. We don't do that, okay? We don't tithe we don't have commitments, none of that. Why? Because that's not, what we're, that's not the battle. That's not what we're told to do anymore. We're told to allow one another to be freely giving out for the right reason, which is gratitude for what the Lord has done for us. And that desire to want to see others share in the things that we're so grateful for by continuing to have the word go out, the preaching of the gospel, the teaching of the word of God. When that's in your heart, and the Lord blesses you in such a way that you're able to give, then you can give. And then, as the Bible says, the Lord loves that. Loves a cheerful giver. Does it freely. So that's we allow you to do that. All right, one more time so that we can't forget it. The good news is that that we're all born sinners. Every one of us. But Jesus Christ died for our sins. That's the complete answer. His death. And then he was buried. And then on the third day, God raised him from the dead. So that you'd have the complete picture of your salvation. The death for your sins, the burial, and the resurrection to new life. And to the fact that whoever believes this good news about this Savior will never perish. But have eternal life. Believe on the Lord Jesus. You will be saved. All right. If you have any questions about today's message, you can always email me at pastor, P-A-S-T-O-R, at lbible.org, pastor at lbible.org. I'm in the habit of spelling that because when I came from in New England, it was pasta. It sounded like what you get at a good Italian restaurant. So I always just have to spell it. I know you guys know how to spell it. Pastor at LBible.org. All right, let's close the prayer one more time. Heavenly Father, we thank you again today for everything. We ask now, Father, that as we leave, that we would understand that you have given us, empowered us so that we can act through your works that you've ordained for us. We ask ask the Spirit now to guide us to do that. In Christ's name we pray by the power of the Spirit. Amen. You're dismissed. Enjoy the day today.